You're listening to Simple Roots Radio, episode number 87, and today is all about Lyme's disease. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Schirm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. And now your host, Alexa Schirm. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Alexa. And as always, this is the place to get healthy, live happy, and find joy. Today, we're uncovering a little bit more about health, specifically a scary disease, or what I think of as a scary disease, Lyme disease. I know it's going rampant, and it's tick season around here, and that means all the fear and all the worry about what this disease is and what it can do for our bodies and how we can prevent it. So I wanted to get an expert on, and today we have Dr. Darren Ingalls on, who is a Lyme disease expert. He's even written a book that recently released called The Lyme Solution, and he's really going to dive into what Lyme disease is, why it's spreading like crazy, if we only get it from ticks, and how it can live in our body for a period of time, and ultimately how we can get rid of it, or prevent it, or treat it, or all of the above. So that's where we're going today with Dr. Darren Ingalls. Dr. Darren Ingalls is a respected leader in the natural medicine community with tons of publications, over 30 years of experience, and a license in naturopathic medicine. So he's going to take a little different approach. Obviously, he's going down the naturopathic, natural medicine approach, which I so greatly appreciate. And just to give you a little more insight into why I'm so passionate about Lyme's disease is that I've actually had my blood work tested for Lyme's disease, and I do have the Lyme bacteria in my body. Now, I don't know if I would actually give it a full Lyme diagnosis, but the bacteria is there. It has been a a linkage in my own health journey and why I've struggled for many years to really recover from the time I kind of hit rock bottom with my health. But it is interesting to note that when I got the blood work done and I found out that I had Lyme's bacteria, technically Lyme's disease, I kind of asked like, I don't know when I've been bitten by tick. I've never had a bullseye rash. Like this is all new to me. It's not something that I would have suspected other than the symptoms that I was having and just the unknown constant battle that I've been having without any treatment really working full force. But I don't remember a specific time that I actually had a tick on me. Not, I mean, a tick bite. I've had ticks on me, but not, I, I never knew that they had bitten me. And so when I was talking to my physician and she kind of said, you know, I bet that statistically, if the majority of people were tested, you know, 70 to 80% of people would actually have the bacteria in their body. Like it is that common. So it doesn't mean that it's always active, but in a lot of people it's there and it can become active. And today we're going to break down all of that with Dr. Ingalls. Like I said, I'm asking him what it is, how it's spreading and how we can ultimately prevent it and treat it. And to go along with today's show, I have developed a tick spray that's all natural and safe, proven to work. I don't know if proven is the right word, but there's studies that have some of these ingredients that have been proven to help prevent ticks. And so today over on the blog and in the show notes for this episode at simplerswellness.com slash 087, you can find that tick spray as well as more information on the show on Lyme disease and where you can learn more about Dr. Ingalls and grab his book, The Lyme Solution. So hop on over there. Again, all the show notes are always found at simplerootswellness.com backslash the episode number. And this episode is number 87. So that's simplerootswellness.com slash 087. 
And before we get started today, I do have one more quick thing that I wanna ask you. Would you mind leaving me a rating and review? I know I say it all the time, but it's literally the lifeblood of the show. It helps other people who wouldn't otherwise find and hear about Simbora's Radio to do so and to join this community of like-minded people who are really just on a mission to achieve health that's realistic, easy and exciting. I mean, I say exciting, like to actually create a desire to want to live a healthy life. That's really where we're going with all this. So again, to leave a rating and review, it's as simple as taking two minutes out of your time, head on over to iTunes and search for Simperitz Radio, or just head on over to simperitzwellness.com backslash review and leave a star rating and a written review of the show. Again, the written review helps me to form and create shows based on what you want, on what you're liking, and maybe even ideas and suggestions that you have for me. So again, leave all that information over there. It means the world to me. They really do help this show out. Literally, it's the one thing that you can do to really support me, and it costs nothing, just a few minutes of your time. Anyways, make sure you head on over there and do that, and then come right back here to dive right into the podcast all on Lyme disease. Welcome to the show, Dr. Darren Ingalls. Thank you so much for being here. We're talking about a deep subject all about Lyme's disease, but I really just thank you again for being here on the show with me. Oh, thanks for having me, Alexa. Yeah. Okay. So like I said, today we're talking about Lyme's disease, which has become a really big, scary disease that seems to be plaguing America. I mean, you hear more and more and more people getting diagnosed with Lyme's disease, but I want to step back and take a deep dive into what is Lyme disease. Sure. Well, Lyme disease is actually a bacterial infection, and it's an infection you acquire through generally a tick bite. And uh, once the tick bites you, it actually carries this bacteria in its saliva and injects it into your bloodstream. And when it spreads throughout your bloodstream, you can get any number of different symptoms. So it can cause primarily flu-like symptoms initially. So you can get a fever, headache, chills, joint pain, muscle aches, swollen lymph nodes. Uh, the telltale sign of Lyme disease is actually a specific kind of rash called a bullseye rash. And when you look at it, it looks like a bullseye or a target. And if you see that, you definitely know you've been bitten by a tick that carries Lyme disease. After you get through the acute stages, it can actually start to change a little bit, and the symptoms look a bit different where we'll see more neurological symptoms, things like memory loss, cognitive impairment. People become very forgetful or even say they feel kind of clumsy, trip over their feet. You can get what's called uh, migratory pain or wandering pain where one day your right shoulder hurts and the next day it's your left knee and the next day it's your right ankle. Again, that's kind of a unique symptom uh, common to Lyme disease. And again, you can get all those other joint and muscle-related conditions. So, you know, we call Lyme the great imitator, the great mimic. It actually looks like a lot of other different illnesses out there, which is why we probably see a lot of people who either get misdiagnosed with having something else or don't get diagnosed at all. But, you know, in areas where we see a lot of ticks, specifically the deer tick, that's the uh, tick that transmits Lyme disease, we tend to see a higher incidence. So uh, New England is a hot spot in that central part of the Midwest, very near to where you are, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, that's another big hot spot of Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's statistics, and you have a ton of statistics in your book, like, more than 300,000 people are diagnosed with Lyme disease in the U.S. each year. But is everyone really bitten by a tick? Or can we get Lyme disease or the bacteria of Lyme in other ways? Or are people getting bit by ticks that really don't even know it? 
Well, I think a lot of people I see get bit by a tick and don't know it because if they don't see that bullseye rash and their symptoms come on somewhat insidiously, it'd be easy to think it was due to something else. You know, the statistics out there on the 300,000 new cases each year, that's what we know was reported. It's it's an underreported condition, Mm -hmm. so we know the number of people who actually have it is much higher than that, although we really don't know what that true number is. Is it half a million? Is it a million? Uh, nonetheless, it's, it's a lot of people. And, uh, you know, certainly we've seen a gross increase in Lyme disease over the last four decades since we first discovered it in the late 70s, early 80s. And um, it, it's really, it's become the fastest growing infectious disease, not just in the United States, but really the, the world. You know, we see outbreaks in Europe, Asia, and I was even at a Lyme conference uh, last fall where they talked about having cases in Africa, uh, and even in places that you wouldn't normally think carry deer ticks. Yeah. So why is it spreading so fast? Well, the World Health Organization seems to believe that it's related to climate change. You know, a lot of the things that naturally uh, keep ticks at bay, a lot of those checks and balances have really kind of, you know, fallen away. So a lot of the um, predators that would normally eat ticks, that population is dying off. So things like possum, they eat ticks and other rodents and animals. But climate change is really the biggest driving factor. You know, here up in New England, we anticipate we're going to get cold winters, and that freezing cold temperature is usually enough to kill the ticks off. But, boy, over the last, you know, decade or so, we've had very warm winters, and having those warmer winters means that we don't get cold enough to really kill off the tick population. And, therefore, every Mm -hmm. year the tick population continues to grow and grow. Right. In addition, I think, you know, as we all kind of migrate around the country and the world, there are just ways that these ticks can, you know, get on people, go elsewhere, get on trains, get on planes, go elsewhere. You know, once you get these ticks on you, it's very easy to spread. So what we used to think was kind of confined to, again, New England and the central Midwest, we're now seeing that that distribution of ticks spread out further and further. So really, you know, we've, we've identified Lyme disease in every state in the country. So even if you live in Arizona or Texas where we don't really think of having deer ticks, you know, you're not necessarily immune from getting Lyme disease. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So in my own life, I've been tested and I am actually positive for Lyme disease, or let me say the bacteria for Lyme's is in my body. Now I've heard that, um, like for me, I, yes, I've had symptoms of Lyme's, but I've never had anything drastic, but is it true that Lyme's or the bacteria of Lyme's disease could be considered a self pathogen? So it could almost act like as an autoimmune disease, or is that, am I way off there? No, you're exactly on point. And, you know, the test that we have available, uh, people need to understand that what it's actually measuring is antibodies. That is your immune response to exposure. Mm-hmm. So all the test really tells us at best is, have you ever been exposed to that organism? And look, if I test every single person in New England, I'd be willing to bet that probably 80% or more of the population right. would show antibodies against Lyme. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean they all have Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Lyme disease really is a clinical diagnosis. It's based on your symptoms. The piece of paper really just helps confirm that you've had that exposure. And if you go to the CDC's website and read, you know, it even says right there that Lyme is a clinical diagnosis. So a negative test doesn't exclude the possibility of having Lyme. Uh, it just really confirms your suspicion. So people who have a positive test, if they don't really have any symptoms, you know, it could just be a sign that you got bit by a tick, 
you had exposure, your immune system did what you wanted it to do, and that was the end of that. It never got to the point where it really created Lyme disease, and that is a possibility. The concept of it being a stealth pathogen, I think, is very likely. I've seen people who, as far as we can tell, their exposure may have happened many years ago, but they only became symptomatic a year ago or six months ago. So is it possible that you could get bit at the time it really doesn't do anything and then something happens further down the line where your immune system is stressed that allows that organism to become more active? I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. And I've seen patients that you know have known Lyme disease, they get treated, they go years of being symptom-free, and then they become symptomatic again. Is it really just a reactivation of the old Lyme or is it a new infection? My personal opinion is I think it is a reactivation of old Lyme. Mm-hmm. I think once you get exposed, you know, you probably don't get rid of it completely. And I sort of equate it, you know, if you get chicken pox when you're five years old, you can get shingles when you're 55 years old. And it's the same virus that stays in your body for 50 years. Right. It's just something happens to your immune system that stresses it, and that allows the virus to be act- become active. And I think Lyme, you know, even though it's a bacteria, it behaves in many ways like a virus. And I think that that is very probable. Right, right. Yeah, because there's, I mean, they're coming out with all kinds of um, viruses and even bacteria that could maybe be stealth. Like you said, chickenpox is a great example of that. And so in this, like when we have these pathogens that kind of go under the radar, um, obviously there's more scientific explanations for that, but they're kind of under the radar of your immune system. Is this then what can trigger the autoimmune-like reaction in that? Or... Yeah, you know, there's a lot of really interesting research about not just Lyme, but other microbes and their capacity to trigger autoimmunity. And, you know, as I was doing research and writing the book, and uh, one of the things that I would, I would always do is type in whatever condition, and there's a concept in immunology called molecular mimicry. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that there's a molecule on that organism that's similar, if not identical, to a molecule in our own body. And so as the immune system gets activated against that pathogen, it accidentally starts attacking our own tissue. And whether it's your joints, your muscles, your brain, you know, that kind of varies. But I was surprised to see that there was so much research out there on Lyme and these other pathogens and their ability to trigger autoimmunity. And, you know, my experience having Lyme myself and having treated thousands of patients is that, you know, once you get past that acute phase of, you know, being sick with Lyme, I think a lot of these chronic Lyme symptoms that people experience are probably more to do with this autoimmune event that's been triggered Mm. secondary to the Lyme. So at that Mm -hmm. point, just treating the organism itself isn't really enough. You know, we have to dig a little deeper and start looking at the body as a whole and and treat Lyme really more as an autoimmune disease than just a straight-up infection. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And that that totally transitions into treatment, which I want to talk about. Um, But I think kind of going along the lines of, like, the idea that, can we really get rid of limes once it's in our body? Like, do you believe that we can actually get to a place where we can get rid of these self pathogens so they're not just kind of, I don't, I don't want to say remission, but kind of, you know, going under the radar again so they don't come back up? Well, I think, you know, we get into a very interesting conversation about, you know, we get into the nature versus nurture discussion. Is it really the organism or is it how the body handles the organism? Mm, mm-hmm. I think an argument can be made that a lot of microbes are really here to protect us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we get sick, a lot of the microbes we get sick from are things that are actually normally part of us. You know, I mean, a child can get strep throat, and but strep is part of the normal flora for a lot of people. So is it because strep is inherently bad or is it just because the organism, our body, is no longer handling strep? 
strapped the way it should, and that allows it to become uh, problematic. Mm. And we can say the same thing about Lyme. Is it, mm. is it merely just the exposure to the tick bite, or is it other things in play that allow it to persist more often than it should? And, uh, again, my opinion, having had Lyme myself, you know, when I had Lyme, I mean, I had classic Lyme disease. I'd had every symptom you read in a medical textbook with, you know, headache and joint pain. I had 105 fever, uh, chills, the whole thing. And when I started on doxycycline, after four days, I really felt perfectly fine. I had really no symptoms at all. But I was three weeks, you know, before I opened my own practice. So when I opened, I was, you know, the doctor, the bookkeeper, the receptionist, right. everything. I was working, you know, 10, 12-hour days, and after about eight months of keeping up on that schedule, I started to relapse and get symptoms again. And when I went back on antibiotics, it didn't do anything, and I changed antibiotics, and it still didn't do anything. And really, it was eight or nine months of changing antibiotic protocols and actually feeling worse and worse. And I was fortunate that I found a doctor in New York City who treated me with Chinese herbs and a lot of things I talk about in my book that really kind of pulled me out of the weeds. But, you know, in retrospect, I can look back and say, wow, you know, was it really the organism that was the problem or is it just that I'd really stressed my immune system to the point mm-hmm. where the line that was already there that was really kind of quiet and kept at bay was just allowed to come out? Again, my, my gut feeling is that it really was more of the effect on the terrain on my body that allowed that to happen. And had I, you know, not been working those hours and really taking better care of myself, I probably would have fine and never had a problem again. And there are people out there that get Lyme and they get treated, and that's sort of the end of that. But uh, I'm typically working with that other group of people that do end up with chronic or persistent Lyme and, you know, have failed a lot of different therapies. So, mm-hmm. you know, my book is really about how do we deal with, again, the body as a whole and how do we really look at the terrain of what's going on to make sure that your immune system is really doing everything we want it to do. Right. And I love that approach because, you know, as we see just disease in general, autoimmunity on the rise like crazy, like you said, limes. I love that you bring it back to the perspective of how can we better help our body as a whole, not just looking at that specific organism. Because like you said, our immune system is intricate and it's multi-layered and maybe it's that that's not functioning right rather than just the organism. Because like you said, when I started looking into, you know, and talking with um, the holistic doctor that tested me for limes, you know, she's like, I, I bet the majority of people who would walk in here, if they got tested, they would also be a carrier of the bacteria. Um, like you said, it's just a matter of when it's going to show itself um, and that stressful life. So I love that. So now when we get into talk about the treatment of limes, um, and I know we can talk a lot about uh, the treatment for the initial bullseye rash, but that's basically boils down to antibiotic use, correct? Correct. I think that's the one case where antibiotics really are very appropriate. And I do recommend when people know that they have acute exposure that they get antibiotics. I think the one area that we probably disagree with the conventional community is, you know, 10 to 21 days of doxycycline is kind of the standard course for an adult. And uh, the nature of Lyme is it's a very slow-growing organism. And doxycycline only works when the organism's in its replication phase. So when it's not replicating, doxycycline really can't do anything to that bug. So because it's such a slow-growing organism, the course of treatment really does need to be longer. And I think most of us who've been in the Lyme world for a while would probably agree that three weeks just isn't enough, that six weeks is probably the minimum, um, and that's what most of us recommend. Yeah. Okay. So then when we move in, though, to this chronic Lyme, and I think the what more of your book is focused on is really looking at the body as a whole 
enhancing our immune system. What is the protocol that you've laid out? Can you just kind of give us a, a, a little basis? Obviously, you've laid out nicely inside the book. It's fantastic, by the way, of laying out foods you should be eating and even recipes. Um, and then later, I want to talk about supplements. But just for now, like the basis of the lifestyle of treating chronic Lyme. Like, what have you found to work? Because I know a lot of people out there have tried a lot of different things. Yeah. So, you know, again, this book was really written out of my own uh, experience with Lyme and, again, having treated a lot of Lyme patients. So, you know, I, I, I boiled it down uh, really to kind of keep it simple. And I, I, I don't want to undermine the fact that Lyme is a horribly complex illness, but, you know, we had to put it in a way that was really just easy for people to follow. Mm-hmm. And again, I wanted a tool that the average person could just pick up and do on their own. I just see so many Lyme patients that live in areas, you know, where Lyme isn't really known and Sometimes doctors are very resistant even to testing you for it. So I wanted a tool that people could have and really follow on their own. But the five steps really, you know, the first step is, is about gut health. Again, we know that, you know, up to 80% of your immune function comes from the gut. So if your gut's not functioning well, it's very difficult for your immune system to function well. So I talk a lot about different nutrients and probiotics and things you can use to really help improve the integrity of the gut. You know, if you've been suffering from, from chronic constipation, diarrhea, heartburn, you know, all of these symptoms can be a sign that your gut really isn't operating as well as it should. And so we want to do everything we can to really optimize its function. And the second step is really about diet. And having tried a bunch of diets myself and trying different diets with various patients, you know, what I settled on is what's called an alkaline diet. Mm -hmm. And what that really means is that you're eating foods that promote better alkalinity in your body. And what we know physiologically is that all your cells work best in an alkaline state. And for people who really don't know what that means, you know, when we talk about pH, you know, your body can be either acidic or alkaline. And we know as a whole that with the exception of the stomach, the bladder, for women, the vaginal area that's very acidic to protect against outside invaders, the rest of your body actually functions well in an alkaline state. And, you know, everyone's heard of the concept of, like, acid rain and how that damages crops because it's, it's really toxic to the soil. Well, in many ways, a lot of these acids that build up in our body can be detrimental and mm-hmm. ultimately lead to inflammation. So an alkaline diet is about eating foods that ultimately keep your body pH where it should be and helps reduce inflammation. Mm-hmm. The third step is, you know, really going after active infection. And again, I think antibiotics are very appropriate for acute Lyme disease. When it gets beyond that, there's some pretty good evidence that antibiotics aren't very effective and they have a lot of potential side effects. So I've used uh, various different herbal protocols to help treat Lyme. And what I like about the herbs is that I think they really achieve more than one goal. Not only are they effective at you know, getting rid of the Lyme or lowering that Lyme load, but they do a lot of other beneficial things to the body. You know, they help reduce inflammation. They help improve circulation. They help improve cognitive function. So, you know, the way I think of Lyme is if you're standing on a lake in the morning and it's a nice, quiet lake, and a motorboat goes blowing by, the boat can be long gone, but the waves are still rippling. And uh, Lyme is kind of that way, too, is that even when the organism may be gone, or at least quiet, it's kind of left a wake of distraction in its past. So we're kind of having to clean up that mess. So I like the fact that herbs, you know, in conjunction with each other, really can help support your body as a whole. And again, it's not just focused on killing the bug. So I talk about, you know, the various herbal protocols that I personally use and I've used with patients. Step four of the plan is really looking at your environment. And, you know, we get exposed to uh, toxic things all the time. So it's really about taking stock what's in your home, what you put on your body, put 
on your skin. You know, all these things can have a cumulative load of, you know, potentially damaging your immune system. So it's about going through and getting rid of toxic chemicals and stop spraying your lawn with, you know, poisons. Uh, mold is one I talk a lot about. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's the one thing I think mimics Lyme more than anything else is mold exposure. You know, mold exposure can cause headaches and fatigue and sometimes joint pain. Uh, so, you know, making sure that you live in an environment that's free of water damage and mold uh, can be critically important for getting well. Uh, so really taking stock, again, of your total environment and reduce what you can, control what you can, uh, can have a big, big impact on your overall health. And then the fifth step is really about self-care and it's about doing all the things to help, you know, ensure that you're keeping your body and your mind, you know, well. So I talk a lot about the importance of sleep. You know, I see a lot of people after they get exposed to Lyme disease have terrible sleep problems. And we know that during your deep sleep is when your body actually repairs and restores itself. So if you have damaged neurons or damaged joints, you know, all that tissue repair pretty much happens, you know, in the middle of the night while you're sleeping. So getting that deep restorative sleep is really important for anybody getting over any kind of chronic illness, including Lyme disease. I also talk a lot about, you know, exercise that you can do, uh, moving your body, getting your blood going. That brings more oxygen, more nutrients to damaged tissue. And even for people who have very limited capacity to do anything, I mean, I work with people who are sometimes in wheelchairs because of Lyme disease. You know, we can still do upper body exercises. We can still try and stretch your body. You know, there's usually something we can find as a way to get your body going. You know, as humans, we are designed to move. And so I like to encourage that we get your body moving as much as you're physically capable and can tolerate. And there's just so many wonderful, gentle types of exercise out there, like stretching, like walking, like swimming, yoga, tai chi, qigong. And I like the fact that these can all be adapted to your fitness level. So if you're really having a lot of problems and you can't do very much, look, sometimes it's just a lap around the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if that's all you can tolerate, great, it's better than nothing. But I think you know, when people are feeling bad and feeling tired, the last thing I'm going to do, and I know I felt that way when I was sort of in acute line, you know, the thought of doing any kind of exercise seemed kind of daunting. But uh, I just wanted to uh, encourage people to try and move their body the best they can. And then the last part of that really is about stress management. You know, I think people uh, get so caught up in the physical aspect of Lyme disease, we really kind of forget about the psycho-emotional effect that any kind of chronic disease has on your body. And, you know, your brain and your body are very much connected. So when people are in a a bad mental state, uh, it doesn't do anything good for your physical body. So I think it's great if you've got some kind of support network in place and whether it's friends, whether you've got a Lyme support group you're involved with, whether you've got a therapist you work with, it's really just what works for you. But, you know, I know how it was for myself. At some point, people kind of get tired of hearing about your aches and pains and your headaches and the fact you don't feel well and right. you feel like you kind of exhausted your, your close network of friends and family. Uh, and it's stressful for them, too. You know, I mean, I, I, I've been involved with someone who was chronically sick, and I know what it's like to be a caretaker as well, and it's, it's very frustrating and very uh, mentally difficult. So I think as much as you can get that support network in place and, you know, find things in your life that bring you joy. I just know how it is when, again, people stop uh, when they're not feeling well. You know, often people stop doing the things that they used to do that really brought joy and happiness to their life. So whether it's art, whether it's music, whether it's, you know, watching a movie, uh, again, it's kind of whatever it is that really uh, brings that joy and excitement back to your life. But, 
you know, making sure that we really take care of that mental part of your, your body, I think is critically important. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I love that it's like a multi-layer total body approach to healing. So when you're looking at healing, are you specifically looking at going after the organism or are you just looking at enhancing the immune system? Like letting the body take care of the organism or are the herbs uh, meant to really take care of that? Well, I think, you know, the herbs are really designed to accomplish a couple of goals. I think it is trying to lower the load of the organism. You know, if we believe that Lyme is a catalyst for autoimmunity, the more bug that's there, the more it potentially can stimulate the immune system. So if you sort of think of it as there's a thousand bacteria in your body and we can get that down to a hundred, there's just less stuff to aggravate you. Again, we don't know if you completely get rid of the organism a hundred percent, but I think we can bring the load down to a dull roar. And I think, you know, for, for people who've been on long-term antibiotics, you know, this is part of the reason why they feel better, at least temporarily, is that they've lowered that load enough that it stops stimulating the immune system. But as soon as they come off the antibiotics, they're kind of right back to where they started. So, you know, again, the herbs really have the intent of being uh, part of the overall treatment to help bring that load down. And while we're continuing to work on all these other factors and getting the body healthier. Mm-hmm, right. I want to talk about the herbs for a minute because um, I love the approach of using them. I mean, like you said, there's a time and a place for antibiotics, but when we look at antibiotics and healing the gut, I mean, they don't usually go hand in hand. You know, like there's, like you said, there's symptoms of taking antibiotics, but the herbs usually um, work more in line with the body, but how do you look at an individual and like, is there protocols that you put everyone on or is this a very individualized approach when you talk talking about herbs and supplements? Yeah, I try and make it as individualized as possible. I think, you know, with every herbal protocol, there is a set number of herbs we probably tend to start with. And then depending on what bothers people more than others, we might add, subtract, uh, you know, various herbs. You know, the two protocols I highlight in the book, again, these are the two that I used initially when I had Lyme disease. Uh, the first one is a protocol that was developed by a doctor out of New York City named Dr. Zhang, Z-H-A-N-G. Dr. Zhang is a medical doctor from China. He actually works in New York City as an acupuncturist, but he looked at a lot of the literature in China on traditional Chinese herbal formulas, and he started studying the pharmacology of what these herbs actually do, and so he kind of uh, coined the term modern Chinese medicine. And so everything in Chinese medicine is usually done as a formula. It's not a single herb like we typically use in Western medicine. And Chinese formulas are all designed to work in concert with each other, so again, to accomplish usually multiple goals. So I, I, I like his uh, protocol because, again, I think it casts the widest net of everything that Lyme does to the body. I like the fact that you know his herbs, again, go after the organism, reduce its load, but again, he's got one formula that is anti-inflammatory. He's got one formula to improve circulation. He's got another formula to boost your natural immune system. He's got other formulas that are more kind of symptom-specific, you know, to help with your energy, to help with your brain fog, and so forth. So again, you know, we can really custom tailor it to whatever it is that bothers you. Um, the other thing I like about his herbs is that you know, side effects are really very minimal. Uh, and, and actually quite rare. It's actually very common when people go on antibiotics that they get a die-off reaction called the Herxheimer reaction. And basically you feel really flu-like mm-hmm. and kind of crummy during it. So for some people that Herx reaction can be really bad and it's very uh, 
in some cases debilitating, and most doctors will tell you, well, but it's just part of the treatment. You just got to buck up and ride through it. And I've seen people who've gone through this die-off reaction again for weeks and sometimes longer. And uh, having been through it myself, it's it's pretty brutal. <laughs> it's pretty hard to function during the day. So I like herbs as a whole because, again, these die-off reactions, it's not that they never happen. They can, but it's certainly far less than we see with antibiotics. So most people, you know, can continue to function during the day and, you know, go to work, go to school, do what you have to do to, to get through the day. So his protocol for adults is kind of my go-to. Uh, I also use a protocol from Dr. Lee Cowden. Dr. Cowden is a cardiologist out mm-hmm. of Dallas, and I believe he's semi-retired now. But uh, his protocol involves using a lot of herbs that come from the Amazon jungle down near Peru, and uh, they're liquid tinctures. So uh, this is what I like for people who don't like to take capsules, and it's also one of my uh, go-tos for children. Because they're liquids, we can use drop doses of it. They're very safe. They're very effective. And kids will actually take them. They don't taste bad. You know, some of the herbs out there, if you've ever tasted them, are pretty nasty. And it's it's hard to get people to comply if they're really gross. So I like these because you put them in a little bit of water. They really don't have any significant flavor or taste to it, and and people will actually take it. Uh, That protocol is very interesting. There's a woman actually at the University of New Haven. Her name's uh, Dr. Eva Sappy. She's a researcher, and she got Lyme herself. So she started studying these herbs, and she actually found that the herbs were more effective than the antibiotics. Mm. Now, I get this question asked all the time if we talk about herbal treatment for Lyme. It's like, gosh, you know, if I don't take antibiotics, you know, am I kind of dooming myself? And I have to remind people that, no, in fact, you're actually probably doing yourself a service and that the herbs are, you know, as effective as the antibiotics and you're less likely to get some of the negative side effects from the antibiotics. So, um, you know, those two protocols are the ones I've used the most. If you go on the Internet and you read about herbal treatments for Lyme disease, you're going to come across a whole bunch of other protocols. You know, Stephen Buhner, who's an herbalist, uh, he's very well known in the Lyme world. He's got a great protocol as well. Uh, Byron White is another herbalist. He's got a protocol that works well. Susan McCamish developed a company called Beyond Balance. Those herbs are very potent. You know, each of these herbs, you know, have their pluses and minuses, and I kind of go through it in more detail in the book. But uh, I think our end goal is really the same, is that, you know, we're trying to find ways to help reduce the load of the bug while continuing to support the rest of the body. And, again, I think the beauty of herbs is that it really facilitates that. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So if if someone has, you know, who's listening to this that maybe can't come into your clinic, what are, like, three tips that you could give someone to start this journey of healing? Well, I think the first step is really about changing diet. I think because diet uh, plays such a significant role in your gut health, you know, you can follow an alkaline diet. Uh, It's not terribly difficult. It's not so restrictive that you can't eat anything. And, again, I found just practically this is a diet that people can actually follow. But this is a very inexpensive, easy thing to do that anybody can do because of that impact of what it's doing to your pH and what it's doing to your overall gut health. Mm -hmm. The second thing is I think, you know, having some kind of detoxification program in place is a good idea. I've had patients with Lyme disease that have tried, you know, every therapy under the sun, and it wasn't until we really started working on, you know, opening up their detox pathways that they really started to Mm. see significant improvement. Mm -hmm. So even things like, you know, infrared sauna can be very beneficial. I have a lot of Lyme patients that do colon hydrotherapy, Uh, It creeps people out a little bit when we talk about it, but, again, there's some pretty good research that you do eliminate a lot of toxins. 
And again, we kind of come back to, you know, what is it that creates this environment to have chronic Lyme? And I think to a certain degree, you know, having an accumulation of uh, toxins in your body certainly doesn't help. So again, this is something that for most people, no matter where you live in the world, there's some type of detoxification that you can do. And then the last, you know, third thing I would recommend is just, you know, practicing self-care. You know, that kind of comes back to making sure you're getting enough sleep. You know, whatever it is you're doing in your life, whether it's a job, it's school, and you feel like you have to do it, you know, you need to make your health a priority. And that involves getting good sleep, moving your body, and, again, finding ways to reduce your stress. So I like these things because, again, they're inexpensive, they're relatively easy, and anybody can do it. Right, right. I like that too. Okay, so just a couple more questions. If someone doesn't have Lyme yet, um, are all these tips preventative as well? Or like, I mean, obviously the alkaline diet, because that's something that I think come summer, people are going to start worrying about again. Can we prevent Lyme? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, again, we get down to, you know, why is it that, you know, you could have 10 people walk in a forest, all get ticks, Two people get Lyme and the other people don't. You know, what is the difference? And I think the difference in some cases is the terrain. So as much as you can keep your body and your immune system happy and healthy, I think it certainly reduces that risk of developing Lyme. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you live in an environment, again, where you know you've got a lot of ticks, you can certainly take protective measures, you know, wearing lawn clothing when you're outdoors. And there's a lot of great organic essential oil products that help, you know, act as tick repellents. Uh, you can certainly do those type of things. And, and, of course, doing tick checks, you know, once you come indoors again uh, is always a wise idea. Uh, but, you know, if you keep your body healthy and you're doing all the right things to support your immune system in your gut, even if you get bit by a tick with Lyme, it may just be that, you know, either A, you don't get sick at all and your immune system just takes care of it before it ever becomes an issue, or perhaps you get sick, you're acutely sick, you get treated, and then that's the end of that. Uh, I think, you know, the better health you are going into the tick bite, probably the least likely of a chance you have of developing chronic Lyme problems. Is this um, the same go for kids? Because, I mean, Lyme is increasing in, in children as well. So can we prevent it just the same in children? And is their treatment any different? Yeah, you know, I think in terms of prevention for children, it really is the same strategies that we do for adults. I think, you know, kids are kids and, you know, they're going to be out there rumbling and tumbling and doing stuff that kids do. I mean, gosh, I think about the things my brother and I did when we were children. Right. My parents were probably <laughs> mortified. But, you know, I mean, I used to live in Kentucky and Indiana and, you know, we would go wandering through the woods and creeks and certainly had a lot of exposure to ticks. So, again, I think as a parent, it really is about being vigilant with your kids and it really depends on where you live, but uh, making sure that they have protective clothing making sure that you do tick checks at the end of the day. And, you know, I don't want to stop kids from being kids and enjoying life, but uh, I think, you know, particularly if you live in an area where Lyme is endemic, you really do want to be vigilant about that. And in terms of treatment, again, you know, we, we have slightly different herbs that we use for kids, but the protocol is really kind of the same for children as for adults where we still have them follow an alkaline diet. Again, we use some of these liquid herbal protocols, but you know, the, the same type of things that can undermine the terrain of an adult are really similar to that of children. So uh, we, we kind of approach it the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So fascinating and such a deep, deep subject that uh, so many people are affected by. So I really thank you for being here and sharing your information. I do have a few quick fire questions because it's always fun to end with a little <laughs> personal note. So 
really quickly, what is the first thing you do every morning for your health? You know, uh, I started this uh, maybe two or three years ago, uh, actually having done a little research, is uh, I started my day with some lemon water. Mm, and yeah. lemon actually tends to be something that's very alkaline forming in the body. I actually just happen to love the taste of sour stuff. So some fresh lime, fresh lemon, and about 12 ounces of water is a really great way to start the day. And that's what I do to start my day. Right, yeah. I hear so many people say that as their first thing. So I think people should take note. If this many health experts are telling <laughs> us to start their day with warm lemon water, I think we should go for it. Okay, what's your favorite health easy. book right now that, I mean, obviously your book, um, but outside of your book, like what's one of those health books that's kind of been pivotal in your own journey? Well, the book that I'm reading right now is actually written by a colleague of mine uh, called Dirty Genes. Uh, Dr. Ben Lynch wrote this book, and he's an expert in uh, genetics and epigenetics. And it's been one of these things I've always been kind of resistant to, but uh, I'm sort of opening my mind to the fact that, you know, so many different things in our environment affect how our genes get expressed. And, you know, even though we can't change our genes, we can certainly change a lot of things in the environment that affect how these genes get expressed. So I think, you know, this is really kind of an emerging area of medicine mm -hmm. and how these epigenetics affect not just Lyme disease, but really any kind of chronic illness, you know, like diabetes and heart disease and cancer. So uh, I, I think it's been a really fascinating uh, deep dive into, you know, how all these different environmental factors, you know, influence our genetic expression. Yeah, yeah, it really is an up and coming topic. And I think it's pretty fascinating. Okay, this is not a quick fire question. But do you feel like we can pass the Lyme's bacteria down, like through embryo and fetus or no? Well, what the research says is no. Mm -hmm. What the research shows is that moms, uh, if they have Lyme disease, their children are a higher risk of birth defects. Now, in saying that, I have seen children born to mothers with Lyme disease that do experience developmental delays and other various neurological symptoms. So I think it is certainly possible. The research has not corroborated that. But, you know, it makes a lot of sense to me just that, you know, you share blood for nine months. And since this is an organism that does travel through the blood, it kind of makes a lot of sense that that organism could, you know, get to the baby and start triggering its own set of uh, problems. So... Uh, the research says no. My opinion is that in some cases it probably does. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received. Boy, that's a tough question. I've got a lot of good <laughs> advice, a lot of really bad advice too. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, you know, one thing that I'll say, you know, my father always kind of instilled in me uh, was really just don't quit. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, as that applies to, you know, chronic illness, it's so easy to just give up. You say, look, I've tried a bunch of things. It's not working. My case is hopeless. There's no help. And uh, I just want to encourage people to not have that attitude and to say, you know, you know Thomas Edison once said, you know, I found uh, 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so, you just, found, you just found a way that didn't work for you, but that doesn't mean that there's not a way that won't work. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you just don't quit and you realize, you know, this is your life. This is your health. It's important. It's serious. And take responsibility for what you do. But uh, uh, just, yeah, don't give up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is that the same advice you'd leave us with? Like, what's your best advice for us? Well, I think my best advice might be a little different. I think my best advice might be, you know, really trust your intuition. Mm. You know, I, I think most people are pretty in tune with their bodies, and they know when something's wrong. They know when something's not working. 
And it's very easy sometimes to be dissuaded by other external factors from following your gut to know your gut uh, is going to be right most of the time. So, again, if you feel like, gosh, you know, this sounds like Lyme, I've read about it, but my doctor refuses to test me, I live in Iowa, he says there is no Lyme disease, well, you know, that's just an opportunity to go find someone who's willing to work with you and mm-hmm. get tested out. Mm-hmm. Or if you know you have Lyme disease and you've been on a certain treatment protocol for, you know, months or years and you're really not getting any better and your doctor's telling you, well, you just need to stay with it and you're like, but gosh, it just doesn't feel like right. Well, again, go with your intuition and I think that's a sign that you need to change things mm-hmm. up or maybe sometimes you know, even find a different practitioner to work with. Mm-hmm. Right. Great advice. Okay. Last question. Where can we learn more about you and your latest book? Uh, so uh, if they go to my website, it's darreningelsnd.com. It's D-A-R-I-N-I-N-G-E-L-S-N-D.com. Uh, I've got a lot of information about the book. I've got a lot of information about Lyme disease and other things. So, you know, we'd love people to sign up and, uh, subscribe to our newsletter, and uh, we've got a lot of very useful, practical tips that we can give you. Uh, I also have a free immune-boosting book that uh, people can download. Uh, So we just love people to uh, join our community. And, again, our goal is to help you, you know, overcome Lyme and, you know, be your best version of yourself. Yeah, yeah. And the book is really fantastic. And I'll make sure and link all that up in the show notes um, here in a little bit. But I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Ingalls, for being on the show such a wealth of knowledge. And I hope that uh, maybe down in the future, we can have you on for another show, um, digging into this a little bit further. So again, thank you so much for being here. Great. Thanks, Alexa. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Simple Ritz Radio. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. I mean, Lyme's disease is something that we hear a lot about. It's growing. It's becoming more prevalent. And I thought he gave so many great ideas to help not only prevent Lyme's disease, but if you do have it, to hopefully find healing. So again, make sure you head to the show notes to learn more about Dr. Ingalls and where you can find his latest book, The Lyme Solution. The show notes can be found at simperitswellness.com backslash 087. Again, that's simperitswellness.com backslash 087 to find all the information on Dr. Ingalls and get that tick spray. And like I mentioned, the tick spray is super easy to do. It's quick. It's effective. All you have to do is literally mix up the ingredients in a bottle, which I just bought all the ingredients on Amazon. It was pretty inexpensive for how much it actually makes. Mix it up and just spray it on before you head outside, and you can spray it on your kids as well. So that's pretty cool. Anyways, again, all that's in the show notes at simperitswellness.com slash 087. In the meantime, don't forget to rate and review the show, and make sure you sign up for my email list while you're over on the show notes. Being a part of my email list means you get more insight into my story, meal plans, additional recipes, ideas, tips, tricks, and hacks, and everything in between. It's basically where I share my real life, things that are on my mind, and really to help encourage you on this journey. Not to mention, I love to receive emails back based on that list. So if you're on the email list, you get an email from me, you can hit reply, send something back, whether it's questions or feedback or ideas that you have. I love your feedback. So again, make sure you sign up for my email list. It's where all the juice happens. So you're just gonna wanna sign up. And if you like today's show, don't forget to share with your friends. Let your family members know about Simple Roots Radio and join this community. Again, I thank you so much for being here. We have great podcasts coming up, coming up on 
Friday, there's an episode, which I think I told you last week was gonna air, but it's actually coming up this Friday on five free detox methods to help you detox daily. These are completely free things that we could be doing more of. It's just a short, quick episode, so you're gonna wanna dive into that. And then we have some Q&A shows before we head into our summer series, which is all on the mindset. I am so excited for the summer series. I think this is becoming a bigger and bigger passion of mine and something that I really wanna learn more about and share more with you because I think at the end of the day, more than what we eat, more than how we exercise, more than how we detox is how our mind really is. The health of our mind, I think, has the biggest impact on our overall health. And we're gonna dive into that this summer, like I said, right here on Simperts Radio. So stay tuned. I can't wait to see you again. I'll be back here next Friday with that special bonus episode and then back here again next week with a brand new Q&A episode. So I'll see you then.